0: One. Welcome back to Never in My Wildest Dream podcast. Looking forward to my next guest, Nima Omidvar. Nima has been all over the globe with regards to basketball. He is a guy that I met in 2011, 2012 to actually, you know, get become friends with him. And uh, he's got some awesome stories. He's also got some awesome news that he's going to be working on as well. And I'm looking forward to breaking that here today. But Nemo was a graduate of 2008 from the University of Maryland. His next job that he started after that was at UNC Charlotte with Coach Lutz. He uh, started working at Bowie State, and we're, I to do want to touch base on some Bowie State stuff with Nima. He was there, and uh, then he went to NC State. He went to the University of Maryland. He went to South Alabama, which I just explained to him is where Jimmy Buffett's from. Mobile is like his, his original area. So uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun with that. And his last stop was the GW. Nima, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Hey, Chad,
1: thanks a lot for having me. Love the name of your show um, because, you know, I, I've got some lot of crazy dreams and I want to achieve all of them. Um, excited to talk about some of them and, and talk about my journey and our friendship.
0: Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this and have been since I started the show and I texted you. Um so, you know, I'm going to get this out of the way real quick. It's, it's 1120. Uh, the inauguration is going to start at about noon, if I'm not mistaken. How close are you to that? I'm, I'm,
1: uh, if I open my balcony door, I can hear them. I actually have it on mute uh, on my TV. Uh, President-elect soon to be sworn in, President Biden, yep. uh, just walked in. Um, you know, ironically, I'm a, I'm a huge history nerd growing up. Uh, especially with politics and presidents. Um, you know, I, I would read up on on them, and I would go to every inauguration. Um, when I was in college, when Obama was inaugurated, I rented out my, my one-bedroom uh, in my uh, five-bedroom home uh, on Craigslist when Craigslist was first out, and I, I paid off to a month and a half of rent uh, just on that one day. Um, but I was there for the inauguration. I actually did uh, go to the last inauguration as well, the Trump's inauguration, because um, you know I, I like to, to experience it. When I was uh, house hunting uh, seven, eight years ago, when I bought the place where I'm at now, I'm on Pennsylvania Avenue. If I step out my, my door uh, and go about seven steps into the street, which isn't smart, but if you do that, you're, <laughs> you're staring right at the Capitol building. Um, and uh, so I'm very, very close. And, uh, you know, it's a bizarre time down here in the city because um, it is very different. Uh, I, you know, the protests in, in D.C. are highly organized. Um, they, they concentrate them to specific areas. Um, and, you know, they're, they're generally very safe because you have to do some sort of check-in uh, process to, to go into that area. Um, so it's rarely a point of contention or concern. Um, when the uh, riots and insurrection occurred a couple of weeks ago, I was actually headed down to, to Gold's Gym, which is across the street from the Capitol, uh, less than a mile from my apartment. And um, I had no idea what was going on. I to see a wave of people in the middle of the street and, uh, took an illegal U-turn and got the heck out of there. Um, but ever since then, it's, it's been really eerie um, because, uh, you know, the, the roads are blocked. So if I do want to go work out now, I have to go balk. Um, so I took the walk the last couple of days to the gym and I'm walking essentially in a, in a war zone. Right. It's elaborate, uh, sturdy fences. It's uh, soldiers with um, weaponry uh, you know, military grade vehicles. It's, it's really uh, a surreal thing to see. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, uh, today is, uh, going to be a, a, moment of, of uh, healing and, and unity for the country and, and one of safety. And, uh, hopefully I, I can't imagine anything, uh, knock on wood, anything malicious would happen today. It, this is a very, very safe city currently right now. Uh, it just the the
0: presence is um, pretty uh, spectacular. You know, you know, you you said a couple things there as I take notes while we're talking. I'm going to hit on the first one. So he, here's my recruiting story while I was down in DC. You talked about an illegal U-turn. So I was driving down there while I was at HCC to recruit a kid at Theodore Roosevelt High School. I can't remember where they were playing. Yeah, the kid's name was Devin Gallman. So. I can't remember where it was, but it was like on the second or third floor of this this school, was this gymnasium. So I'm going down I Street, mm-hmm. and didn't realize that there's a difference between EYE and the letter I Street. And I made a right, and look, it's like three forty five, four o'clock. Because you know, some of them games are played really early down there. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm driving square at traffic, like oh shit moment. So I pull over on the right-hand side of the road and, like, parallel park between two cars facing the opposite direction. I kind of felt like Chevy Chase and, you know, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation under the truck because I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to get out of here? I'm in an HCC school car. It was like I was praying to anybody and everybody that I'd make it out of there with no issues. But uh, that's my U-turn story. Uh, That was I was scared to death being that close to everything. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get run over by these cars coming right at me. So I know what you're talking about.
1: That's that's one of the uh, great natural uh, barriers to recruiting the most fertile basketball region in the nation. And a lot of folks, when they come down here, they get lost, they get overwhelmed, um, and then there'll be players like at a Theodore Roosevelt, where you know Coach Nickens has had some really good dudes. Yep. Uh, but you know what? A lot of a lot of coaches don't don't go down uh, to check on the Rough Riders just because of. You know where they perceive you know the, the town uh, or that part of town to be whether or not they, they they want to be around or not which uh what a what a short-sighted way of, of looking at things towards our business but uh i'm i'm happy for them to to move out of the way and, and make it easier for Uh, For us to to recruit those talented student athletes.
0: Well, you know the milk house. People don't really understand the milk house. You gotta you gotta experience the milk house if you're gonna go and get some milk. That's
1: where the champions
0: come from. Exactly. And Nickens does a great job. Every once in a while, Rob and I'll chat. Like he'll hit me up and be like, "What's up, champ? How we doing?" So it's it's always good to catch up with Rob. He does an unbelievable job down there. You uh, you said you were a businessman, and and I'm gonna hit on this. You. You rented your apartment out for the inauguration. You paid a month and a half worth of rent. Is that how you kind of got to, you know, if you've been kind of a businessman your whole life, I know you ran AAU tournaments. Yeah. I know, you have, I know yeah. we're going to put some breaking news on the air today about the next venture that you're going into. Um, explain a little bit about how you've become a businessman and how it's transformed your career with regards to coaching as well as business.
1: Yeah, that's uh, you know it's a it's a good question, and I've I've never been asked it, but I'm I'm really proud of it. So, you know, when I was in high school, even um, I was a, an entrepreneur. I was you know selling CDs, um, you know back when you know bootlegging CDs was a brand new concept. Um, I got a, a DVD burner or a CD burner, mm-hmm. um, and I would you know sell CDs. I wanted to have music. I lived in Boyd's, Maryland from Boyd's to Damascus on the school bus is about 30 plus minutes. Um, So you better have some good music in your headphones in the mornings, like all the other kids Well, I always wanted to have all the new stuff. So I figured, okay, if I could, if I could buy a CD from Walmart, which was generally, you know, 11 to $13. um, And I sell for $5, three copies of it, I've made a profit and now I've got that CD and I, uh, accumulated a, a glorious CD collection and um, even had uh, membership cards to my uh, CD uh, sell, selling company. I had teachers and the school security guard even, you know, would come for Christmas and buy CDs from me and uh, created an, an industry. Um, then when I got to, to college, uh, you know, I, I, I went to Frederick Community College, was on scholarship, but then decided, you know, I want to coach. And so I left uh, to pursue coaching. Well, you know, the deal was since I was going to walk away from free education, I had to pay for my education. Um, and because I wanted to be in basketball, and at that time I was coaching, um, I had gone to a couple AAU tournaments. I noticed and observed some inefficiencies in running these, uh, events and, you know, thought to myself, I could, I could do this, um, and probably do it better than, than what I'm seeing. Uh, and so I just woke up one morning and said, the hell with it. I'm gonna do it. Here we go. It, uh, came up with the tournament name, DC Metro showcase, came up with a, uh, a concept of, of, you know, what is the, the, the target uh, group that we want to serve which at the time was unsigned seniors um and grew that event uh to be a a a large um you know entity that had no less than 60 teams participating each time and that helped pay for all my college education that helped pay for my rents um you know you get to inauguration time it's it's pretty removed from, uh, AAU tournament. So I was maybe running out a little bit of money, which is what encouraged me to be, uh, you know, resourceful on that day. But, you know, you're in college, you sleep on a, on a couch uh, for one night. Somebody pays you 600 bucks to, to have your bed to, to go to the inauguration. Pretty good deal. I'll take it. Um, and, uh, you know, so I've, I've always done that when I was in, in school. Um, I was an economics major. Um, and part of the reason why I, I wanted to be an economics major was, you know, I, in my mind, I, uh, you know, thought, you know, Hey, I, I can do business. I can understand hustling and I associated business and hustling with, you know, a business major. So I, I want to know the theory behind, uh, what can make money and in create industry. And at the time I, I didn't necessarily assume that I was going to be a college basketball coach, um, But, uh, you know, here we are. I, you know, I I studied uh, all sorts of business and industry and and studied a lot of successful entrepreneurs. And one of the common uh, things that always come up is just, you know, uh, believing in yourself, believing in your idea and and just chasing after it, uh, which is, you know, now what I'm what I'm doing. I'm I've kind of come full circle and, and done the exact same thing Have seen college basketball events um, seen inefficiencies within college basketball events ways that um, I can do something better uh, and, uh, and I'm excited to, to create that with Aruba Ball which is uh, going to be a college MTE multiple team event um, in Aruba uh, November of 2021 and, and every year after that so Um, You know, we'll see. We'll see where that goes, but you know, it's a pretty exciting proposition to to potentially uh, be able to create uh, business and opportunity and and a a livelihood off of just one week weeks worth of work. Um, So we'll we'll see where that goes. I'm I'm really excited about it uh, to utilize my experiences and my knowledge and and what I've seen uh, in my 12 years of college basketball and, and. translated to uh, what could hopefully be a very successful event and a destination for men's and women's college teams
0: no that's awesome where do you have a <clears throat> a have you been down to aruba to figure out kind of the the layout of everything and if so where are you going to have them stay
1: i uh, have not been down there yet you know i um kind of came across uh going to aruba just uh um, you know, just like anything else we, we normally do in basketball, you, you go through contacts. And Ruben is a Aruba is a is a Dutch um, province, and um, I've got some great contacts in Holland. Um, they, you know, kind of s- sparked the idea. Um, they're a little bit outside of the Caribbean. There's some players that are involved in business and basketball within the Caribbean that have got a monopoly. And um, so I started to say, well, if I want to do something in the caribbean but it's kind of out of the caribbean maybe i can go to aruba and, and we just um, started utilizing contacts and, and and through those contacts um you know it's going to culminate to i'm, I'm actually going to be going down to aruba on uh in a couple of weeks we're, we're, we're on the 20th of january february 8th i'm going to go down there for uh, three weeks and, and meet with all the uh, business owners in aruba and, and their the government leaders to to hopefully curate this event. We got a lot to, to still kind of work through and obviously COVID is still a concern. Um, but, uh, you know, if we can, if we can overcome those obstacles, uh, which I expect we will, we're going to create a, a brand new event called Aruba ball. And, uh, it's going to be, you know, an exciting opportunity for four men's teams and four women's teams to travel to, uh, one of the most beautiful destinations in the world, to place some hoops. We'll be, we'll be doing it at the Renaissance Hotel, uh, which is attached to the convention center. Um, the convention center actually belongs to the Renaissance, but they just call it the Aruba Convention Center. Um, and, uh, that's where we'll be, uh, doing the event, bringing the basketball court and, um, and, uh, you know, creating a, 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 you know, arena style setup, um, which you, know, and you walk right outside the doors and you're, you're on the voted the third most beautiful beach in the world. Very um, nice. so that's pretty, uh, it's pretty exciting, uh, to do that. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a proposition that as, as I talk to the folks on the Island of Aruba, they're, they're in, excited about the, the concept of, of really doing something that's never been done. Um, and, uh, you know, really, Bringing some some good positive business to the islands.
0: You know, I was fortunate enough to play after Shannon Dow went down and played in Barbados and down in the Caribbean, and uh, there's nothing like it. Then that's why I asked because last time I was in Aruba, it was um, the Marriott is where I was at, and uh, it's a gorgeous island. I'm going to throw a question at you real quick though. Did you know that Aruba is a desert? I did not know that? It is a desert island. Aruba is actually a desert in the middle of water. Yep. How about it? Okay. Learn, learn see a little bit of history stuff. You'll learn a little bit of stuff as we go through this as well. Just you like me a couple things you. already, man. You taught me <laughs> some, some stuff before we got on with uh, with you know Buffett
1: and, and his, his Mobile Roots, which I had no idea. I'm ashamed that I don't know that.
0: You lived down um, on the beach for a whole year, and you were hanging on at Buffett's Beach, man.
1: <laughs> I, I was, man. I was in the, you know, the, my... What I, I learned this line from a used car salesman, literally, that I met um, down at Brickyard. Brickyard was my go to bar in, uh, in Mobile where they played live music. And every night I'd go sit there and listen to some great live music, um, which is, is even more of a tragedy that I didn't know uh, Jimmy Buffett was from there. But I asked the gentleman next to me one time, he was originally from Michigan. And uh, you know, he and I were talking about living in Mobile. He said, "I'll never leave here. I love it here." I said, "Why do you love here so much?" And he looked at me and said, "Well, who wouldn't love to live in the northernmost point of the Caribbean?" And I just started dying laughing. I said, "Man, I have to be able to steal that line." He said, "It's all yours, brother. Take it." (laughs) And uh, from there on out, we we started, uh, you know, marketing our location which is true it is the northernmost point of the caribbean if you look on the map it's in the gulf of mexico and uh there's no northern more point northern more point than that uh that touches uh the gulf which touches the caribbean so um you know things things like that are, are are you know exciting uh Marketing opportunities for me. So, even when you mentioned you now a be in a desert, now now I want to explore that a little bit more, um, and and how we can maybe utilize that to market. And I do know it's going to be beautiful weather every single day over there. 80 degrees. I mean, it's the most consistent weather report you've ever seen. Every day it's 80 degrees. 75 is the low, um, and uh, you know I like that. I like that a lot. And I also like the fact that there's no hurricanes there. That's that's going to you know aid. Um, just the uh, peace of mind in terms of safety uh, for teams that want to come travel. You know, I played an event in the Bahamas, um, and two weeks prior to uh, uh, going down there, hurricane comes through and, and really uh, hurts hurts the island. And that's something that um, you know is a is, is a nerve wracking experience when you start thinking about you know as a college basketball coach. Yeah, I got I, you know one yes you want folks down there to be safe, but. Um, you know, I've got my team to to run, and now all of a sudden, a hurricane just happened. Are games canceled? Are they not? You know, that's a, that's a that's an overwhelming proposition at times. So, um, you know, I'm I'm really excited about what we're what we're doing down there, and um, looking forward to see what happens.
0: You know, it's funny you brought up the D, the uh, CDs. So, I'm in college at Shenandoah University, and I was a movie dude. So when I tell you this story, you're going to laugh a little bit. Remember when Walmart at midnight on Monday going into Tuesday would start opening their like DVDs that they would restock the shelves with? Do you that's remember right. That, that, right? that?
1: That's always – DVDs and CDs would always come out on, on Tuesdays.
0: Yep, they came out Tuesdays. Uh, so correct. So Monday at like midnight, they'd always pop them. So – I became kind of an entrepreneur in the fact that I would, I was like Redbox before Redbox. So I would rent movies out of my collection to people within the dorm. And I had a little whiteboard, you know, Nema got out, Bad Boys 2. And then I would take that money and go buy a new DVD every Tuesday and start adding it to the collection. The new DVD would be like $2 a night instead of a dollar a night. So I was actually able to build my DVD collection up from that. I did it right on my it. dorm room. So you made me think of that when you brought up the CD. I was like, oh, I've done something like that before.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it.
0: That's awesome. Um, you know, one thing I've, I've, I've noticed about, you know, your career is you've been well-respected every place that you went, and you do a lot of it through interactions with people and communication. You're really good at communication. Where do you attest that to? Did you learn that from college? Or did you learn that working for guys like... Coach Lutz and Coach Turgeon and Coach um oh shoot, the guy you work for down at NC State. Did you learn from coach those? Godfrey, that's what know. that's a Mark Godfrey. Do you learn it from kind of those guys and the guys you worked with around there? Where do you attest your communication skills to?
1: Uh, that's a that's a great question. So, Chad, when I was a high school coach, um, it was a couple layers of of me really realizing the importance of communication. I was um, you know, when I was coaching high school in AAU, I was 18 years old, all the way till about 22 years old. Um, now, most, a lot of college coaches had no idea how old I was. I, I was very deliberate to not, you know, walk around saying, "Hey, I'm 20 years old," um, because I wanted to be respected. and I didn't think uh, at that age I could I would be respected, but I did notice who would communicate back with me, who would, uh, you know, give me respectful communication. Um, and who wouldn't and uh, I made mental note of that and, and just you know how folks would treat me and uh, I, I just always made a, a conscious effort that uh, I want to be um, treated uh, I want to treat others as as I would like to be treated um, and part of my communication methodology is not always just to be nice you know like I'm going to be honest I'm going to tell you exactly what um you know, you probably need to hear. And so uh, I kind of liken that to, you know, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but a lot of coaches will ask me advice. They'll look at my path and see I started as a JV basketball coach at the Jewish Day School and had an opportunity to coach in the ACC, Big Ten, and the NCAA tournament. Well, how do you go from here to there? Well, um, sometimes I give them a dose of reality, like, you know, whatever that may be to that specific situation. It might not be the story that they wanted to hear, but that's what they need to hear. It's the truth. So I've always been um, uh, appreciative and uh, valued coaches that one, you know, gave me time to to give me some sort of advice and guidance, but gave me uh, truth and, uh, for lack of a better word, didn't give me the bullshit. Um, Now, my communication improved Um, As you know, when I got to Paul VI, um, I was tasked with marketing um, our program and getting us on the map. Paul VI had never won a Virginia uh, Independence uh, School Championship, State Championship, and never won a WCAC Championship. Quite frankly, we were in, in one of the better leagues in the country, and we were an unknown team. So it was our job and our task to, to change that. And we did, just off of communication. We, My strategy, our strategy, Coach Burrell's strategy was, let's get college coaches in here first. We get kids placed in the colleges. People will notice that. And then we will, you know, ultimately uh, attract better talent here to positive six, and it will all kind of fall into place. And uh, that's what we did. Our first year, all my communication was, was geared towards Getting college coaches into our gyms, um, and then all the while still concurrently recruiting uh, kids in the area and families in the area, uh, and and while doing that, you kind of learn, uh, you know, some some do's and don'ts on how to communicate. You learn, um, you know, what college coaches want to hear uh, that will help kind of spurn them to to get into the gym or maybe what doesn't work and when they don't show up to the gym which is maybe equally as important mm-hmm. and then conversely what works with families that you're recruiting or what maybe doesn't work um, you know coaching at the high school level uh, but at a competitive level uh, level on the high school side, where recruiting still comes into into play um, and recruiting high level student athletes, kids that ultimately go on to play in the NBA and at the highest level college basketball, it's still uh, a competitive uh, recruitment. Um, it's it's very similar to recruiting in the ACC or the, the Big Ten, and uh, so you learn um, how to be an effective communicator, and you the biggest thing I learned is just being genuine and being real. Uh, people can, can smell, uh, you know, your, your fakeness from a mile away. Um, and if you're, if you're a phony or a fraud, then, you know, this again, that's going to come out, and, uh, expose you. So if you can be genuine, you can, uh, you know, tell a story and, and share a vision and share a message. Effectively, people will be willing to listen uh, to your vision and to your message. So it, it started while I was coaching at, Paul the VI, um, at UNC Charlotte as a grad assistant, I had total green light to really do the exact same thing. That's actually how I became a grad assistant. Uh, they would uh, communicate and, and correspond with my emails. I built a relationship with Rob Moxley. I built a relationship with Coach Lutz and Chris Cheeks and Bobby Coomer and Rob Perrin, the, uh, uh, the Dobo. And because I independently grew... Relationships with all of them. When an opportunity arose and my name came up, it was unanimous. Everyone in the office said, "Oh, we love that guy. Let's hire him." Um, so, you know, that got me there. I learned again some some do's and don'ts on, on how to uh, communicate and brand a college basketball program um, at UNC Charlotte. Uh, kind of took it uh, another step at Bowie State, where we were top ten in the country. Mm-hmm. And before I got there, we were. Not top ten in the country, but it, it's like the tree in the woods. If nobody is in the woods to hear it fall down, did it? Did it fall down? Like if we're top ten in the nation, and every basketball uh, person in the country doesn't know about it, then are you? know, what's the point of being top ten? So, how can we effectively communicate and, and market the fact that um, we are an elite Division Two basketball program? Um, and you know, just like everything, you learn the dos and don'ts. And when Mark Godfrey, who is uh, doing ESPN at the time and doesn't have a Division II game on his radar, catches wind that uh, oh, that guy that I met when I was doing TV at UNC Charlotte is, um, you know, got a top ten team. That's pretty cool. Right. You caught in their attention. You're you're occupying their thinking space, which is something that I've. I um, always use that term uh, kind of going through uh, my time in recruiting and in marketing and branding. I want all the basketball world to be thinking about us and our program. And if, and if I can get you to think about us once or twice a day, I think we're going to be pretty effective. And then Coach Godfrey, to, to kind of wrap it all up, really taught me um, a, a ton of effective communication strategies. He actually um, – you know, it's, it, it, some of these members are coming back, and I'm, I, I'm going to send him a text to thank him for this. Coach Godfrey would, would pay for me to go to uh, different seminars and educational experiences that were outside of basketball that helped me be an effective communicator and an effective marketer and, and, and branding uh, person for our program, which is uh, you know one of my primary responsibilities uh, that he wanted me to do. So, uh, he he invested in me uh, to become better at that, mm-hmm. and then you know my next opportunity was at the University of Maryland, where we were able to market and brand our program with uh, hashtag We Will, which became our team slogan, which is now Under Armour's uh, that's Under Armour's official campaign. Um, uh, you know, on social media is is We Will, and then the Running Man Challenge as well. So the, these type of Branding strategies have um, kind of been really important to me, um, but it all stems back with just being an effective and genuine communicator. So, um, you know, if someone has got my phone number, it means they probably got it from someone that I know, which is someone that's probably important to me, um, or, uh, you know, we can add value to one another. So, if someone's going to take the time to communicate with me, I want to be uh, equally receptive uh, to, uh, you know, and, and uh, respectful of their time and, and
0: give them equal due and communication back. You know, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but, so, I was at ACC from 2010 to 2011, 11-12 and 12-13. We had three really successful years while I was there. I was in charge of recruiting at that time, and you know, I feel like I brought some really good dudes in, but I wanna say that you started recruiting Najee and Meter in twenty eleven. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah, I think it was I think it was twenty maybe it was 2011 2010 2011 that's not good when you can't remember the years
0: we're not, <laughs> that means, not that means that means we're right. really looking back on a career we, we we've done a lot <laughs>
1: hey, I don't like that I used to be able to recall that time it's no, no problem but now they're all coming together but yeah it was about about that time
0: so I, I want to say it was the 2010 2011 season my first season I started getting on the road a little bit and recruiting but I watched you from a distance and I've never really told you this story and it's kind of cool that I have the ability to now so I watched how you operated how how you texted. How you communicated, and as you 2011 2012 season came around, you were able to recruit those guys to get them come down to Bowie. I remember you know us setting up the recruitment trip down to Bowie and uh, how that was going to be successful. You were convinced way before you even picked them up how how that weekend was going to go, and uh, I knew the ins and outs of the weekend, which I appreciated. But I've never told anybody this, but I learned how to recruit from you. I kind of got like a wow. swag with it because. I could tell from a distance how you did things, and I was like, this cat gets guys, and I've got to go get guys, and I really took a lot on what you did and put it into my own Chad realm of how I was going to recruit, so I do appreciate you being able to help my college career as a coach, because I was able to take that kind of swagger that you had and put it with me so I could become successful as well.
1: That's that's um, a really humbling thing to hear and I appreciate that so much. Um, uh, you know, the, I think in, in recruiting, it, it's so crucial that, um, you be yourself, uh, but, uh, you, you be as you, you, separate yourself from the pack. You know, when I came to recruit, um, Najee meter, it was really on accident. I came I remember vividly. I came the first day of fall recruiting in September. Mm-hmm. And, um, the workouts that I was I was hoping to go see uh, were mostly later in the week. And there's the first day I'm thinking, well, it's the first day of recruiting and we're actually off. So I shouldn't just be sitting around in the office and I'm now a college assistant coach on the road, something that I've wanted to be for the last six years. Um, well, I'm gonna go somewhere. And I thought, you know what, I gotta hit every Maryland JUCO. Um, I, you know, wherever I've been, I've always thought it'd be important to, even if I'm not recruiting kids from a particular uh, school, to at least step foot in their building um, or make sure I see them once throughout the season at a game live, so that I can say to you, hey, Chad, I ca- I came to to watch you guys. Not to recruit, but to support. And so, you know, Hagerstown Community College has got a great uh, reputation within Maryland Juco. I went to Frederick Community College, so I, I understood, you know, the the, the the level and the value and where you guys stood within our state, and Bowie State, being in the state of Maryland. You know, our, our requirements to, to recruit there were pretty simple. We were going to really only recruit in-state kids and ironically both of those kids were out-of-state kids but we were going to recruit in-state kids um that could qualify for Pell so that we can offset some of the the scholarship uh you know obstacles that we had because we only had full four four full scholarships uh to to build out our team and so you know I'd say you know what I'll check this off the list hey it sounds kind of far let me just go up there day one they're doing a workout pretty early in the afternoon I could pop over to Goretti I could pop over to a couple other places after and uh, get that checked off the list and I remember coming in um, and not having an open mind and and this was a a great lesson for me don't ever assume uh, you know what you may or may not see in a gym, just go in there with an open mind and give all those kids a chance. I was really just coming in there to just say hello, meet you, meet, meet coach Brown, yep. um, met coach Fitzgerald and, and academics, you know, just kind of meeting everyone and, uh, just making friends. Like I would like to say, Hey man, I don't mean to recruit you guys. I just want to make friends. And within two minutes, I'm like, who the hell are these two guys? Um, <laughs> And I was like, "Well, damn, I got to recruit these dudes." And so now you get into problem-solving mode. A lot of recruiting to me is Mm -hmm. problem-solving. The the primary problem, and you know, not problem in the sense of bad, but thing that I had to solve with Najee and Meter was they were out-of-state kids, and could we afford to give them full scholarships because they were mid to high-major, Division One players that academically. I thought and and projected, okay, they may not make it to where they need to be academically. And uh, both of those kids have gotten their degrees, love them Mm -hmm. to death. Um, But they were in different places academically at that time, and uh, that's when you go to junior college, you know, at at times. So the challenge was, I have from September until May when uh, these kids will probably make their decision because Division two, you're. Probably not committing in early period, and you're probably not committing in April. So I knew my timeline. I got until May to figure out a way to get these kids to become Marylanders, so we can save more than half on the scholarship bill, and we can build a team. It's just like salary cap, um, and uh, that was a that was a fun process um, that I that I embarked on with those kids. You guys had them in, in apartments off campus. Right. They had leases to be in their apartments. Hmm. And so within that year, I convinced them, hey, you guys should get uh, driver's licenses in Maryland, become you know Maryland residents, yep. do taxes in Maryland because you guys worked the camp uh, up there. And uh, now you're uh, in state. And so uh, they did all that. Um, and uh, committed to Bowie State. They both won uh, and, and were big pieces in the CIAA championship team that their first year, their junior year at Bowie State. Uh, and, and I also remember this, and this is a, you know, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but uh, I, I, me and Coach Brooks laugh about it. The first time I took Coach Brooks to watch those guys play was in a game. Uh, Najee gets, te- no, Meter gets teed up, he's playing terrible and coach brooks looks at me It's like why the hell do you have me here i'm leaving i'm <laughs> like coach i'm just telling you like stick it out and uh you know he warms up to him a little bit he's like okay by the end of the game he said like, okay we're not getting these guys they're way too good so like either way stop wasting the time and uh you know so a lot of times, as head coaches, and I hope uh, one day if I'm a head coach, I, I remember this lesson: you get blinded by your your initial reaction, and sometimes you don't necessarily listen to your assistants who have done a lot of the legwork and a lot of the um, you know the, the, the digging up, if you will, of the scenario. And I knew with both of those kids that we were going to have a great opportunity. Both of their families w- loved the idea of them going to an HBCU. Mm-hmm. Check yep. academically, they were they were both uh, you know struggling a little bit. They needed a smaller school setting, um, and it was very likely that they would need to go to Division two. Check they wanted to to play for a winner. We were that check, um, and I just knew based on. Maryland JUCO, uh, we did. We had a four- to five-month head start, which which paid off uh, at the end because our relationship that we built and the trust that we built, um, you know, superseded any of the other uh, opportunities that that presented themselves. And then, to, to be quite frank, the trust that we built uh, with those kids helped helped us when, at um, you know, I never even got a chance to coach them. I got an opportunity to coach at NC State, and you know, those guys were like, "Man, coach, you got to go! You got to go do that!" Like, we're we're happy for you, and we're happy to be here at Bowie State. Don't worry about us; we're, we're committed here. Uh, we trust Coach Brooks. We trust the rest of the staff, uh, and we're happy for you. Uh, and I think that's a that's a that's a great feeling in recruiting when you know you sell the institution. It's more about the institution than you as the assistant coach. Um, but when we get down to it, if something changes, now we're we're gonna stay committed to that institution because uh, that's what was properly sold. Mm-hmm. and we're happy for everyone when they go pursue uh, a different opportunity. Um, it all it all kind of worked out that way.
0: You know, <clears throat> you said a couple things there that make me completely laugh that I forgot about, but now, like when you juggle my mind a little bit, so the way you made those two eligible to fit in your little world with regards to like the lease, the ID, all that stuff. So that that following fall we took all the guys and got voter cards <laughs> and they all became in county citizens on the roster. Perfect. So that Perfect. the second semester Of that year, they would be considered in-county. It was harder to do, like, first part, you know what I'm saying? But the second semester, we could get that in-county rate. And you used the word salary cap. It was like playing with a salary cap. Like, okay, I'm going to have to give this much to this kid because he's going to get this much Pell to make this happen. And that's what we would do. But we stole that idea from you on how we could get that done, and we definitely did that. The other thing I remember you doing is when you walked in the gym, it might have been end of February early part of March, you had on your ring. (laughs) <laughs> and you said that time of year you always <laughs> you wear your you ring like to show what you're playing for.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I um uh, I had my Paul the Six State Championship ring. That's a damn good memory. I yeah. can't believe you remember yeah. that. Yes, I was you actually did. talking about this with, with a friend of mine. That's the that's the only championship ring I had. I've been in some, some great schools and we've won some championships, but uh, you know, some of the schools are like, Hey look, you gotta win a national championship to get a ring. Anyway, that's the only ring I had and my shtick was um, I would keep the ring in my pocket and I would tell these these guys, look, man, we're going to win so many rings. I'm not going to have enough fingers to, to put these uh, rings on. I'm just going to keep them in my pocket. They thought that was funny. Looking back, I, it's super cheesy line. But, you know, that became our our thing. Anytime I'd uh, come see those guys, i pulled the ring out of my, my pocket, flip it to them. Uh, they laugh as they catch it and bobble like, "Oh, coach, don't throw that thing! Like, it might get messed up." Like, no nah, man, that's all good. And um, you know, the the last time I came up there, I, I do believe it was. Um, now, this would have been closer to uh, the, the end of the, the signing period mm-hmm. because I did come on the on the very last day, and I remember thinking to myself, "You know, I gotta I gotta bookend this thing." At this point, we're in a full-fledged recruiting battle with you know every Division 2 and multiple Division ones who are trying to convince the, the guys that if they went to summer school and found a way to pay for summer school, that they can go Division One. Right. Um, and you know, I said, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna show up in person again um, and and occupy their thinking space and make sure that towards the end of this process, they're thinking about Bowie State. And, uh, you know, I did. And, and you know, it's, it's one thing to, to make a phone call, uh, but if you really want uh, to, to build trust and build a relationship, being in person, face-to-face, is nothing better. And uh, I actually played those guys in horse and beetle. Made a behind-the-back half-court shot, swish uh, in horse uh, and I told those guys, if I beat you guys in horse, you, you guys are committing. Um, and uh, the, the rest of your team was there watching.
0: Yep, they were I remember that. Dying
1: laughing yep. uh, when I switched that last shot. And ironically, I was, a GA, I was a GA at UNC Charlotte with a guy named Matt Riders, now coaching. And he's an AD in Chicago. And Matt would shoot this behind the back half court shot every day in practice. And he would make it with pretty good efficiency. I would try the shot. I never made it once. And then every day in practice at Bowie State before we started, we start in the circle. We'd have our little talk. And then before we break off, guards and forwards, I'd do a behind-the-back half-court shot. And I never made it once, not one time. And that was like this thing. Our guys would just laugh at me. like, Coach, you keep trying it. You're never going to make it. And here we are in, a, in an important horse game, the most important horse game of my life. I ended the game with the behind-the-back half-court shot swish to get the, those guys uh, their, their commitment. It was uh, it was a lot of fun uh, to get that. Oh, they also didn't commit for like another month, which I was I was upset about. But they <laughs> they they followed through on the on the deal.
0: If I'm not mistaken, didn't they commit like on a Sunday?
1: Uh, I do that I don't remember I, I do remember that they were calling me yeah. they were messing with me they called me to, they called me and said man we're not committing and I was just devastated like oh you know, hey guys uh, I hate to hear that and I actually said this and so it doesn't even matter where you guys are gonna go I, I wish you the best and then they just busted out laughing they were both on the phone like yep. man coach we're coming to Bowie State I, I was like in tears, you know, you put a lot of work and effort into to building the relationship. And when you know guys are winners and they're champions and they can, they can really make an impact, not just on your basketball team, but in your, in your community in your school's ecosystem. And mm-hmm. they were those type of guys um, it, it means a lot to you, and, and I'm so happy that it worked out. But those son of a guns, man they they,
0: they pranked me to to commit. That's that's how they did it. <laughs> but you know what? That's totally those two dudes. That's just, that was them. And you know, I remember getting the text from them saying they were coming. It was it was really exciting, and uh, the fact that they were going together was a big deal. I think I think if one would have committed or if, they were on the fence together with a lot of that stuff and. You know, it was fun watching them on ESPN because that was where the CIAA title game was always on ESPN, and if I'm not mistaken, it's the same place that the Charlotte Hornets play. Is that correct? And that where they yeah. have that? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always pick with Meter. Meter was one of those kids that I always wanted to coach, and I was fortunate after I left Goretti that I was able to get on Barry's staff and be around Meter. You talk about a kid that was competitive. He... Yes, he had his things where he was just a little bit off. with When he would, when he loses his mind, meter lost his mind. But when he wanted to rip your throat out, he was going to rip it out. And he was going to make sure that the whole entire gym knew that he ripped your throat out. I remember him hitting a three on ESPN and just kind of looking to the fans and thinking like the dudes kind of made it. And that was a proud yeah. moment as a coach, you know, and Najee just like dunking on everybody. And, you know, Najee's a little Virginia beach kid and. He came up and he was soft as hell. God, he was so soft. And we just kind of molded him. And, you know, we'd always tell him, like, man, you just want me to call your mom? Your mom come pick you up. You don't want to go to class? We'll just have your mom come pick you up. You don't want, you were just wasting your time. He'd get so pissed at us. But then when it, you know, when it was time, he made big boy decisions and he made the right when He went to Bowie. He played overseas for a while, did very well for himself. And like you said, they both graduated, which is the biggest part of this whole thing that we try to do is get them that piece of paper. So,
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, when when, when Coach Brooks uh, came up to, to see Neeter, um, he looks at me and says, that kid's crazy. I said, yeah, Coach, he's the perfect type of crazy for us because we had a bunch of very talented players, uh, but we didn't have – Voice. We didn't have anyone that was just super fiery. And, you know, at that time, uh, Coach John Thompson uh, was on the radio in the D.C. area. And I remember uh, I would listen to his show religiously, and and I remember him telling a story about a player that he went to recruit. And during jump ball, the guy gets in a – literally after he tips the ball, he gets in a fight. And he walks out the gym and the fan stops and says, you're going to stop recruiting him coach. He said, absolutely not. I'll, I'm going to take him. And he does. And, and his line that he uses that rather calm down a fool than resurrect a corpse. If I can, if I can channel his energy the right way, then I, I know we can make him a successful uh, young man, not just as a basketball player, but we were able to then channel that energy also in, in basketball and in you know, his entrepreneurial spirit and um, it, you know etc so that was that was a fun uh, process to be part of and uh, you know when you when you see that type of a competitor um, to me like I, I know I can win with that type of guy I know we can be successful with the person that every single possession matters to them um, mm-hmm. and knowing that, Everyone has been coached differently. Um, you know, you you guys uh, were, were really good for them, but, you know, you only get uh, two years uh, in JUCO. Um, but then you, you look at someone's, you know, track record, and you go back in, you know, high school. You know, he's not in a super competitive league or an environment, uh, you know, up there in PA. And so you start to think, okay, well, if we put him in, in our environment, how will, how will he um, – Act and react, and we thought and, and believed that he would be a very successful individual in the way Coach Brooks ran his program, and you know that came to that came to light. And so, um, I, I loved th- that whole evaluation process. It was very helpful and informative for me uh, later on in my career to want to trust my gut, my instincts, what I what I've seen, and just how I can understand people. Um, those two guys were, were a great case study in that because I can look back now and see that, you know, she's a, he's even a sports agent. He's doing highly successful things. I, I knew it was in him. Um, and I wasn't going to hold it against him that he wasn't the finished product that we know they could be today as men when they weren't fully grown men. They were 17, 18, 19 years old and still learning their way. Um, that's our job in, as coaches. We, we have to help them uh, realize their potential on and off the court. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, uh, we should not discredit, um, you know, maybe some of their, their imperfections. None of us are perfect, Chad. Yep. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Nope. And we surely shouldn't expect a 17 or 18-year-old young man um, to to be perfect. Uh, but if we could see uh, potential in them, then we should we should bring it out of them. and and it was it was great to to be part of them. I stay in touch with those guys to this day. I am going to hit them up actually when we get done with this and um, see what they're up to. But uh, I, I love those guys, and I'm very grateful to have been able to go through that process with them and with you.
0: yeah, and I, and I like I said, I learned a lot from you, and you know, we can kind of go back. I remember. I remember exactly where I was driving. I was leaving. I want to say it was the DC Metro Showcase that summer. I was down recruiting a little bit, and I was battling against uh, Coach Kelly out of Harcum. Drew was down. Uh, my goal was to always be the first dude in the, in the building because they always had the, you always had that piece of paper, that whiteboard. Coach is here. I always wanted HCC to be at the top because I wanted everybody to know I was there first. That was one of, one of my goals. And uh, but I remember when you called me that you got the NC State gig, and then we talked. I want to say you were driving, if I'm not mistaken, down to Raleigh. We talked like 30 seconds. It was like boom, boom, boom. And you're like, Chad, I'm turning my freaking phone off. I'll talk to you in a couple days. And you just cut your phone off. I remember like you just needed that time to just reflect as you drove down the road to Raleigh because I'm sure your phone, you know, went sideways once the news broke that you had taken that job. But I do remember where I was when you when you uh, told me that you had gotten that job. That was really cool, and I and I know that my guys probably helped you in that. And uh, you know, I and then that's kind of a cool feeling too, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, they uh, they did. You know, just uh, you know, again, it, it's. Nothing can ever uh, take the place of real world experience and real life experience. And you know, putting together a a presentation to show those guys on why Bowie State and why Division II would be best for them, um, which I still have saved on my computer, ironically. Uh, And you know, and and selling our assets, the CIAA tournament, which is the the highest grossing. College basketball event in the nation of any event,
0: mm-hmm. um, and, and that's because of the economic impact to the city of Charlotte
1: uh, when uh, you know so many people travel and and the, the business opportunities that come of it. And hey, if you cut down some nets in this event, you're you're going to make uh, some some friends, and both of those guys did that. Um, so having that opportunity to to build that out and, and create the experience really helped me um, then going into an NC state where coach Godfrey said, okay, I want you to, to curate our in-home visits. And, you know, we, we didn't really do a lot of in-home visits in Division Two, but we, we did presentations. And so because of that, now I can, um, I can do that. And um, now I have resources. So it's more than just Microsoft word that I can use. Um, I've got a budget and now I can go create a, an iPad app yep. that is interactive. Holy cow. That was a lot of fun, man. And, and, you know, coach Godfrey, the one thing uh, he, he would constantly do, uh, cause you know, you come from division two, it's all about save money, save money, save money. He's like, you know, be, be resourceful, but be creative and push the envelope. So now let's really test your, you know, your, your skill set here how what kind of product can you deliver um, within reasons t- in terms of cost and uh, I, I was able to do that because of those experiences and that's part of what what coaching is you layer experiences upon experiences upon experiences and that's what allows you and helps you to um, grow as a, a coach as an individual and and Gain um, success, and that's one thing. When I, when I mentioned earlier, when co- you know younger coaches ask for advice, um, and they, I ask them, okay, well, what kind of position are you looking for? And if it's a high school coach that says, well, I want to get a low D one assistant job, or uh, you know, maybe a high major Dobo job, I say, okay, cool. Conversation is over. Um, I'm not the person to give you advice because you're looking to skip steps, and I vehemently disagree with that approach because even if you did that you're you're not going to be as successful as you you probably deserve to be Mm -hmm. uh, because you're not going to have the experience and maybe the opportunity to make a couple mistakes in a in a less stressful environment um as it leads up to it so um you know that's that that was important to me to to be able to do that and, and build upon those experiences to where i am today
0: well you know i'm a i'm I'm honored. You know, I always tell a lot of people, like, I knew you when you were at Maryland, the dude yelling on the bench. You always had the big tan suit on if I remember. I'm just giving you a hard time on the tan (laughs) suit. But I remember the tan suit on the end of the bench. I was uh,
1: undefeated (laughs) in that tan suit I wore for the first time uh, at Blue State. When Meter and Najee came to our game against IUP, who was number two in the country at the time, we ended up beating those those guys were in the final list for Najee and Meter as well.
0: Yep, Coach Lombardi. uh,
1: I wore that suit because they, they dared me. I wouldn't do it. I actually was in, uh, I was in colds and I was texting these guys and it was on the rack for like 30 bucks. Uh, that <laughs> suit. you know, you, you coach, you don't got a lot of money. And I needed to get a suit and it's this bright white cream suit. And Patino had just done the same, uh, while coaching in Louisville. And I sent a picture to those guys saying, Hey, would, would, should I buy this suit and wear it for that game? Uh, and you know, the game was coming up that weekend. And they were like, you won't, you won't. Oh, okay, I will. And boom. So yeah, I, I spent 30 In my mind, I, it was worth the uh, embarrassment of wearing a, a white suit if it could be considered as such. I love that suit. I still have it to this day. Um, and a $30 investment to get those kids laughing at me and joking about it for the rest of the year. And they did that. And you know what that also accomplished? Me occupying their thinking space. So anytime I, I get a picture or if I wear that suit, I'd send it, uh, send it to them. And we'd have a, a common uh, moment and experience to laugh and joke about that I was able to kind of ride all the way to them uh, signing their letters to intent.
0: You know, I give you a lot of credit because you wore that suit the whole game. <laughs> remember patino supposedly spelled diet cocoa on his and he went back to his black but suit i, I, that I time. wore that
1: maryland too i was undefeated in that in that thing i still am i actually uh, i'll only uh very selectively bring that that suit out i wear it about once a year every year but uh haven't lost in that
0: suit <sighs> that i like i said i remember that that's awesome um you know coach i appreciate your time i know you're a busy dude i know you got a lot going on and i know like you know, social media, you're really good on that and, and you pump a lot of good stuff out. I, like I told you before we got on the show, Like I got off of social media. Um, it's the best decision I ever made. It was kind of like, you know, we, we talk about different addictions and, and you and I talked about that before we got on the air. But social media was one that, would, for me, with my mindset, was constantly chasing stuff that I didn't need to, but likes and, you know, uh, thumbs ups and all that kind of stuff and it just was bad for me and i've been in a much better place and i know you share with me that you have like a, on your phone you didn't realize how much you were actually on your phone and you said it for every hour it could kind of like stop itself and then you were able to get away from it. you said the last couple of days have been good so i hope for you you're able to kind of keep catching your breath and clearing your head on that stuff
1: yeah i think you know I, you, you use social media as a tool um then it can be really effective and productive, but if you live on it and you allow it to shape, uh, too much of, uh, your, your judgments, um, you know, it's, it's unhealthy, yep. especially with everything that, uh, you know, we consume on social media. Uh, nowadays it's, it's really evolved. Um, for me right now as a, you know, as a someone that's not coaching, I don't necessarily have something to market, um, and sell. And so therefore, I, I've got the luxury of maybe taking a step away now. I'll, I'll be um, kind of really uh, ramping it up uh, when I when I do go to Aruba and we start promoting this event. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's something that um, you. Know, you I, I talk about when I when I'm coaching guys using your your dribble as a weapon and, and not a toy, meaning don't uh, you know over dribble and don't uh, do unnecessary things. Social media is the same. Uh, to me it's it, it if you use it as a weapon um, in a positive way to to accomplish what you want to accomplish and uh, you know whether it be marketing branding communication um, outreach whatever uh, then it could be really good but it, but if you use it as a toy um, then you know there's diminishing levels of return mm-hmm. um so you know i i I've, I've have the luxury right now to kind of de-emphasize social media a little bit in my life, which has been really good. Um, and, and this is only a one-week case study, uh, as you and I were talking about, because um, I just, you know, had that epiphany of like, okay, enough's enough. Let to get away from this uh, device. But, um, you know, each of us, whether we're in basketball or not, you know, we can't turn, turn it all the way off. They're, you know, social media is a part of our reality and a part of our lives. And um, if we can u- utilize it for effective, um, you know, a, an effective purpose and a positive, uh, seeking positive solutions, then I think it's uh, it's really good and it's really healthy. But um, Chad, I appreciate you giving me the chance to. to talk with you about all this stuff, talk about wildest dreams I would have never in my wildest dreams thought when when you and I met, um, which really goes back to when you were Coach Liguretti and I see toilet paper getting thrown on the court after you guys scored your first bucket.
0: I remained Um, calm um, during that, remember? I remained calm during that, remember?
1: You were... (laughs) <laughs> it was I was like, What the hell is going on? And why is it not a technical foul? And why is this coach not reacting? And after the game I was like, I just have to go talk to this guy about the, the, the toilet paper, like what the heck just happened? And for those listening, uh, you know, that's that's a tradition uh, for you guys at Coretti in that yep. in that tournament. Yep. First bucket, right? From yep. the toilet paper, you throw on the on the court, uh stop the game. But um, you know, from from there to here we, we've both grown as, as men, as, as coaches, uh, and as individuals. And, you know, for, for anyone listening, you know, in your wildest dreams, whatever they may be, you, you can accomplish it. Yep. You can you can make it happen. And I challenge everyone to, to dream those wild dreams. Um, I've, I've got wild dreams. I've got big goals and aspirations. And I will, will not let anyone deter me. Uh, from those goals and, and dreams uh, it takes you know some some resolution and, and from time to time uh, you know you, you might get thrown off course um, but the, the pathway to success is not a straight line and um, because of that if you're if you're willing to uh, go through the peaks and valleys of of climbing a mountain uh, you know that 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 mountaintop is is very joyous and um, I appreciate you you know kind of, allowing me to, to go down memory lane with you and sharing some of the things that you shared. Cause I didn't know that. And, um, man, that's an, that's an empowering feeling, um, that, that, you know, you, you've, you've inspired me today just by with these memories. And I appreciate that so much.
0: You're, you're very welcome. And likewise, likewise, I appreciate you spending, you know, your morning as the inauguration still going on. I'm sure hopefully you'd be, be able to go back and catch some of what, uh, now, President Biden said while he uh, had his speech, while we, uh, you and I were talking. But uh, do me one favor. <clears throat> Take that tan suit to Aruba because you're going to remain undefeated. You're going to get that thing done. I know, I know that's going to be the next big thing for Nemo Omidbar, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in November 2021 for you with that.
1: I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. I'll keep you in the loop, and uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate you having me on.
0: Hey, not a problem, man. You have a good rest of your day. Stay safe down there in D.C. All right, brother. Take right. care. See you. I want to again thank Neema for being on the show. Like I said, we were going to tell some stories and uh, go down memory lane a little bit. And, you know, the silver lining in that is it's fun to go down memory lane. It's fun to remember the good things in life. And sometimes we forget about those. As we get caught up in our everyday lives and the stresses and the, the spider web of life. But sometimes it's nice to take a step back and just remember the good stuff. Thank you for listening to Never My Wildest Dream podcast. We will talk to you tomorrow.